All right. God bless you guys. Sit down. Acts chapter 13. Amen. Acts chapter 13. What a joy. What a joy. Uh, a few months ago, Dr. Getch's office invited me to this and said it's uh, church planners emphasis going on right now. And, uh, you know, man, every church planner loves to hear that. And uh, by, just for my sake and getting to know you guys a little bit, is there anyone in here that would raise their hand to, to say the Lord's called you to church planting? Anyone like that? A few of you guys. God bless you, fellas. Amen. No ladies. Come on, girls. Let's get in on this thing. All right. Acts chapter 13. We're going to study these first five verses. And of course, when you hear something like we're having a church planter's emphasis, you kind of wonder if like every other preacher is going to preach exactly what I'm saying today. Uh, I went to a church planter's meeting a year ago and uh, four out of the five men went to the book of Acts. And so I guess that's just what we do. Acts 13, verse number one says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. Would you pray with me? Lord Almighty, you are awesome. God, I love you. I am so thankful for the Bible. I am so thankful for the testimony of these saints in the book of Acts. And uh, Lord, the, the daring faith that they had to leave their comfort zone, to go out and to see Jesus do mighty things, Lord, it encourages my heart. And uh, Father, you know my heart this morning is to be an encouragement to, to this group today, to this congregation. And I ask your richest blessings upon them, um, each of them. Lord, I, I, I would venture to guess every one of us this morning have a heart that says, uh, I want to serve Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be free to work in us today, Lord, that, confess, that sins would be confessed and that uh, you would be free to do powerful things in our hearts today. I love you, Jesus, and I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. I want to give you, before we get into the sermon, just sort of my heart. Um, it's not been so long ago, about 13 years, that I was sitting where you are, and uh, my, my head and my heart were just full of pride, to be honest. And uh, I don't recall one specific moment where God called me to church plan. I think it was kind of a gradual thing over the three years that I was here. And, and, uh, and I, as I look back, I, I think probably what I needed to hear was uh, some of these things that I've prepared for you today. But uh, part of me, you know, has this <clears throat> great love and affection for church planting. And when you get into your mission field, wherever God's calling you, you're going to look at people in the similar field and you're going to love them. Okay, missionaries love missionaries and youth pastors love youth pastors and so on. And, and uh, even today, you know, church planters, we kind of have our little club. <laughs> but I, I kind of want to come today to you and, and sort of like de-romanticize this concept of what it means to be a church planter. And just by way of confession, uh, 13 years ago, I was sitting here desiring a title. I was desiring some accolade. I was desiring this, to be honest. I, I wanted to be in front of people. I wanted, um, you know, lights or whatever it was. And uh, this morning, I think I want to take our sermon in a direction 
that is going to sort of uh, bring it down to earth and recognize this statement. Church planting is for every Christian. Church planting is for every believer. It's not about getting a title. It's about just being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and a faithfulness that results in new churches. So we often hear this phrase, every member a minister. And man, I love that. It's such an appropriate mindset. But I'd like to take that in a more specific direction this morning. And so let's just rephrase it like this. Every member a missionary. Every member a missionary. God is calling you to some mission field. It might be, you know, Vero Beach, Florida. It might be Haiti. God has called each of us into a mission field. I believe then that also that the, the events found in the book of Acts indicate to us that when Christians simply follow Jesus in obeying the Great Commission, check it out, new churches are a natural byproduct. You follow Jesus and new churches happen. While some Christians are called to specifically start a new church, those of, you, those of us that raised our hand a moment ago have been called specifically to that. Others are called into various ministries. I believe that any healthy church, follow me on this, not every church, but every healthy church results in a new church. So regardless of whether you're called to church planning or to missions or to music or to youth or evangelism, I think that we can consider Acts 13 today. We can look at what I see as five needs, five uh, vital necessities for a healthy ministry. And then by using this account, I think we could define a church plant very simply as this, the relocation of an already faithful ministry. So, look, I want to de-romanticize this thing. I want to just bring us into uh, what I see as common, normal, New Testament Christianity, men who were faithful unto Jesus, who were relocated as a result. So, it is the multiplication of a healthy organism. Maybe we should think of a greenhouse. Maybe we should think of tending the soil. Maybe we think of going into the garden. And, And what do healthy organisms do? They multiply. And I say it again, church planting is for every Christian. Whether or not you're the called church planter, whether you're the pastor, whatever. Look, get into a healthy ministry, follow Jesus Christ, and see how it multiplies. So what are these five needs in a healthy ministry? First of all, and for those of you who want the alliteration, just sorry, make yours up, okay? Number one, Jesus demands unity among believers, Man, a healthy need, a vital need in healthy ministry is unity. Jesus demands unity among the brethren. This verse is awesome. Verse one. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, and among these as Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is not all the prophets and teachers But the Holy Spirit of God moves Luke to point us at these five particular individuals, not because they were superheroes, but I want you to notice the diversity here. Barnabas, this Levite originally from Cyprus who had been in Jerusalem during the the explosion of the first church. You have Simeon and Lucius, men from Africa. Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. This is the same Herod who chopped off John the Baptist's head. These guys are like, what, classmates stepbrothers with Herod the Tetrarch. And then you have Saul, 
course, Saul of Tarsus, the oppressor of the early church. This amazing scripture begins with this list of names that I believe are so intentional for us to consider. In Antioch's church, we do not see uniformity, but we do see unity. And so I want you to consider for a second, friends, why are we even in Antioch in Acts chapter 13? The answer is because Saul of Tarsus was persecuting Jerusalem. In other words, Barnabas is home in Antioch because Saul was trying to kill him. And now they're brothers in this New Testament church, co-laborers, the best of friends in the work of the ministry. What an incredible testimony of our Savior. And Jesus Christ demands this level of unity among believers. Let me say this. The greatest civil rights movement that has ever existed is the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus empowered men, women, children, just the same. Jesus is no respecter of persons. That the ground is level before the cross. He calls each of us equally. Consider that, that Barnabas was in Antioch because of persecution. And I, I guess we could probably presume that Saul's story was probably pretty similar to Menaean's. A guy brought up to serve Rome and Caesar, a guy who probably had the same ambitions as Herod, but here they were in unity. Ministry requires unity. It, it, it requires us laying aside our preferences. I guess it was three weeks ago, uh, somebody said to me, so how, how's the church going? Is it going according to plan? And I sort of had to laugh to myself. Nothing goes according to plan. To, to God be the glory. Like my plans stink. So you go out the, to do a thing and you better hope Jesus gets it done. Lay aside your preferences. Let Jesus lead the church. Lay aside your, your politics and your prejudices. Those have no place in the family of God. I mean, consider the book of James. It teaches us just how despicable it is to see someone come in in nice apparel and say, hey, have this, this, this chair right up here, up in front. We'll give you a highly esteemed position. James says, no, 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 no. That has no place in the church family. And then I would also remind us an enormous portion of the book of Acts is given to the tearing down of racism between Jew and Gentile between uh, Jew and Roman, between Jew and Samaritan. You see, ministry requires unity. I want you to think of your own family for a minute here and how much your, your mom gave up her preferences, your dad sacrificed over the years for the sake of unity and peace in the home. If we are willing to give up so much for our family, friends, how much more should we be willing to give up for God's family? And this does not just stop with the walls of our own church. I will say the happiest place for me on planet Earth is with my church family. I mean, I missed last night uh, our, our, our midweek Bible study. Man, like it was, it was torment. I miss it like I miss my family right now. I love it. And, and to be frank, it is, it is pretty easy for our church to get along. We love Jesus. We're seeking the Holy Spirit. We're kind of united in this thing. But I want us to step outside of the walls of our own ministry for a second and realize that Christ demands unity among all the brethren. I think back to last year to a, to a Facebook post made by Pastor Chapel. It was a photo of him and Pastor John MacArthur. I think it said something like they, were, they had prayed together, they had united together, um, you know, against the empire of California. And, and it was amazing, you know, something like that can take some heat on the internet, like no surprise, really. But I mean, like, pause for a second. Any of us would want Paul Chapel or John MacArthur praying for us. 
Any of us would desire to have uh, our names on their prayer list. And I rejoice, so many people rejoiced in seeing that unity. See, for two brothers to pray for one another, for two brothers to pray with one another is well-pleasing to our Father. Any parent in the room knows one of their great desires is just for their kids to love each other. I heard that growing up, man. Me and my brothers, we got along for about five minutes of my whole entire childhood. And as we were growing up, it was like I heard it from my mom all the time. She just wanted us to get along. And let me say, the father wants his children to get along. He wants us praying for one another. I'll tell you one of the rich blessings in my life. When other pastors in my city text me on a Sunday morning to tell me that they're praying for me, I really don't care if they're a Southern Baptist. I really don't care if they're non-denominational or reformed or whatever. The truth is I need some prayer and I need a lot of it. And my heart swells with these brothers who would, who would text me to say, I'm praying for you. I'm concerned uh, for your ministry and I'm here in your corner. What a blessing. And I love the guys who are on the internet building networks and conferences and summits and so on. Oh, but friends, we need, we need the brothers and the sisters of the faith uh, supporting one another. Ministry requires unity. We need to be praying for one another. I want you to mark it down, church planner. When God calls you into a city, he has there for you friends and mentors. People that you ought to be praying for. Let me say this. The people in your city, the other ministries, they might disagree with you. But they ought to be on your prayer list. And they ought to be on your friends list. Let God sort out the doctrine, okay? Pray, pray for these folks. You don't have to share the pulpits or whatever, but you go ahead and you pray for them. And that brings us to our second truth here. You gotta give yourself to prayer. I mean, give yourself to prayer. I think that ought to be the number one thing you learn in Bible college is how to pray, how to get a hold of the Lord. Give yourself to prayer. Look at verse number two. It says, as they ministered to the Lord... And fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And verse 3, and when they had fasted and prayed. This is awesome. None of these men had a mind to build anything in their own name. No, no, none of them were like gathered together like, hey, we could, we could go down in history as the first missionaries. Let's just get out there and build our brand and build our name. No, it was, it was humble ministry unto God. They had been called into Antioch. They ministered unto the Lord. They fasted unto the Lord. They prayed unto the Lord. And then when the Lord answered, they prayed and fasted some more. They continued in prayer. I remember this, friends. Church planting is the relocation of an already faithful ministry. It's required in stewards. Brother Dr. R just said this a minute ago. It's required in stewards that a man be found Faithful. When you start praying, keep praying. When you start fasting, keep fasting. There's an emphasis on faithfulness. Look, let me just say, and this is, this is perfect. You guys have this uh, gym that's going to be open tomorrow. Guys, get after it, all right? It does not matter how strong or diligent your first effort is. Without faithfulness, it's nothing more than ridiculous. You go out there and you bust your brains with the weights tomorrow. You better do it the next day and the next day and the next day, right? You go out there and you start to plant a church. You have to stay with it. And we need to look no further than Ravi Zacharias to realize faithfulness and fidelity matter. 
Keep fasting, keep praying, stay faithful. They continued to fast and pray. Listen, friends, if you get nothing else from today's sermon, could you just write down these five words? Pray a church into existence. You don't have what it takes to build a church. God does. Pray that church into existence. I want you to delay your research, postpone your fundraising, ignore recruitment until after you've prayed. And I mean toil. Church planting is grueling, but make your most grueling effort in the prayer closet. Pray a church into existence. Pray for wisdom, humility, power, grace, unity, help, resources. I mean, pray. The greatest revival verse in all the Bible, we all know it. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people shall humble themselves and pray. It's where all ministry begins. It's where all revival begins. A city will not be transformed because of you, West Coast Baptist College graduate. It will be transformed by the power of God. Pray that church into existence. God requires our surrender. He requires our humility. You know, in the early 1900s, God used his people over in the nation of Wales to bring about an incredible awakening. Nowadays, we call it the Welsh Revival. And among the leaders of that movement was a man named Evan Roberts. And Evan was fully surrendered to the work of the Holy Ghost in his life. And because of his surrender and the surrender of other Christians, God sent a nation-shaking revival. And before Evan would arrive somewhere to preach, he would send word ahead to the church. He would say, gather all the believers together. And he says, and I've got four prayer requests for you to pray. Firstly, pray this. Lord, send us your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Lord, send your Holy Spirit powerfully for the sake of Jesus Christ. Lord, send your Holy Spirit more powerfully for the sake of Jesus Christ. And number four, you guessed it. Lord, send your Holy Spirit still more powerfully for the sake of Jesus Christ. You know, I cannot help but think that's how the church in Antioch was praying. When these brothers got together to call down the power of God, it was a constant, continual fasting and prayer. Lord, send your power. Send your Holy Spirit. And it's why they were called to missions. It's why church plants happened all across Asia Minor. It's why a revival swept Rome. Give yourself to prayer. Thirdly, be ready to serve. Be ready to sacrifice. I mean, just prepare yourself now. Leave it at the altar. Lord, whatever you want. I'm here for you, for your purposes alone. Be ready to serve and to sacrifice. It says here in, in verse two, it says, um, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. What a sacrifice. To send Saul and Barnabas? But there's no argument. This church was all in. They, they served. You know, the definition of uh, servility I found, it was just awesome. It really uh, touched me. The definition of servility is the excessive willingness, excessive willingness to serve and please others. 
Excessive, and here's, here's some truth. Uh, in my flesh, I do not have servility. I do not have excessive willingness to serve others. My flesh uh, would rather serve self. But we lay this down for Jesus Christ. We need to be radically transformed by the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God. The Lord could have told the church in Antioch literally anything and they would have obeyed. See, by their fasting, by their prayers, by their humility, they were already prepared. Lord, send me, I will go. And they went and they responded in complete and immediate obedience to the command of the Holy Spirit. Now consider this. How many Christians have been called to a mission field but never went? How many have been called, even in this room today, just because you're at a great Bible college does not mean this is the end. How many have been called unto ministry but have not surrendered? The Lord could have told Antioch anything. Look, Antioch was a haven for Paul. It, it's the only place in the book of Acts where the guy could catch a break. He wasn't welcome in Jerusalem. He, he, he suffered persecution everywhere he went. Antioch was home. It was his comfort zone, but he was willing to leave for the sake of the Holy Spirit. He was willing to follow Jesus into the mission field. I wonder who's willing to go, who's willing to give their allegiance to the king. Jesus taught us no man can serve two masters. There's no like part-time church planting. I mean, you might have a job on the side like everybody does these days. But there's no half-hearted church planting. There's no giving yourself to, to this master and to that master. We follow Christ. Jesus demands sacrifice. He demands it. I recently read about a lady who had come under conviction that, that she needed to give up her ballet dancing. And she sensed the Lord saying to her, give it to me. Just sacrifice your ballet for my sake. And the lady gave up to the Lord the most precious thing that she had on earth. And a few years after she had given it up and she toiled and she just surrendered it to the Lord. She said that there, there came an opportunity where somebody approached her and asked her to come into their university to speak on ballet as a means of evangelism. What a joy. What a joy to serve Jesus Christ. He says, give it to me, but he will multiply it. He will multiply it. Uh, don't you think that Saul and Barnabas were a treasure to this church? I mean, like, look, you're a Christian in Antioch, and who's your favorite Sunday school teacher? Paul. <laughs> who's the guy that you want to sit next to in service because he's the son of consolation? It's Barnabas. They're the best. They're great. You want to be their best friends. They were a treasure, but they were willing to sacrifice unto the Spirit's command. This church served and they sacrificed. They demonstrated servility. And I want to ask you this morning, what is it that the Lord is prompting you, sermon after sermon, devotion after devotion, to surrender to him? What's God got there in your imagination, in your heart, in your mind, that you need to give over to him? Be willing to sacrifice, as we hear so often. Obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, would you note this? Remove your expectations and be creative, flexible, and obedient. This really caught me when I was going through Acts a number of months ago. This just really stood out to me. And I got excited about it. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's, you know, that like entrepreneurial spirit 
uh, in some of us, but man, I got excited about this. Remove your expectations, be creative, flexible, and obedient. In verse four, it says, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And then when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God, the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to their minister. Now we can note that it's telling us the Holy Spirit sent them out. But I also noticed just like the story of Abraham leaving Ur, there was no GPS destination. Bring them out of the church into the work whereto I have called them. Just like, Abram, leave your family into the way that I'm going to show you. There was no destination here. They were called out, if you will, but they were not called in. There's no indication that the Holy Spirit said, go to Salamis. Take a ship to Cyprus. And so I want to just take some comfort in this for a second, all right? Paul and Barnabas themselves, they experienced what so many of us Christians have experienced. They knew where they were, they knew that they were called, but they didn't know where. They knew Jesus was calling them. They'd been in Antioch for a year, faithfully serving, faithfully teaching, worshiping, loving one another, growing, and the Holy Spirit called them out of their comfort zone. I know some of you are sitting here wondering, I don't know, where's the Lord going to take me? I was there. It was like, Lord, am I going to the mission field? Honduras, I, I thought for a minute, uh, might have been where God was calling me. Lord, should I stay out here in California? Lord, where am I going? And then, I mean, just every step of the way, it's like, should the church plant go in Miami? Should it go in the Keys? Should it go in Vero Beach? I don't know. And that's okay. That's where Paul and Barnabas found themselves. They had been called to a ministry without that GPS destination. Now, incidentally, this is pretty cool. I don't think it's coincidence. The first missions trip took place on Barnabas's home island of Cyprus. Acts 4 tells us Barnabas, this was his home. This is where him and John Mark came from. And so I can only imagine the conversation like, okay, you know, the, the church has had a send-off uh, potluck and they're getting ready to send these guys off to the mission field. And, and Barnabas looks over, hey, Brother Saul, uh, did the Lord tell you where we're going? Well, no, Barnabas. Where do you think we're going? Well, I don't know, but I know if we go to Cyprus, we can get a hot meal and a place to stay. I know that if we go to Cyprus, I know of some folks in my neighborhood who can use the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's a very, very practical nature to following Jesus Christ. Here's what I know about all the missionary trips in the book of Acts. There was only one Macedonian call. Most of the missionary trips are just taking the gospel from one town to the next. Get it? It's just practical in nature. We have the gospel. That town's only a 30-minute hike. Let's go. And there's only one Macedonian call. And you do not have to wait around for, for the, the, the gates of heaven to open up for the Shekinah glory to shine down on your chapel seat and say, Come, bring the gospel to Los Angeles. Los Angeles needs the gospel. What more do you need to know? Take the gospel to the next town. Most times throughout the book of Acts, they were being driven by persecution, being driven by uh, a softness of a particular village's heart. Hey, consider those barbarians on the island of Melita. They got a church and a missionary and the gospel and salvation because of a shipwreck. 
Understand, Paul preached in Rome because of his arrest back in Jerusalem. And on the second missionary journey, Paul goes north and Barnabas goes east because they were fighting. Like, how spiritual is that? They weren't getting along and the gospel went out. So you might not get a Macedonian call. I, I really don't think I necessarily like got one of those. I, I think most of my testimony is just one of gradual, you know, step after step, day after day following Jesus. Look, you might not raise money like everyone else. You might not use the same kind of programs or buildings or schedule. But when we say bloom where you're planted, hey, it requires us to minister directly to our community. And not just like theoretically, but I mean practically. God might bring you into a place to adopt a school or a police department or the homeless shelters or to minister online, but just be surrendered to whatever. Be surrendered. Look, every one of us walk across this platform, get our diploma and think we're the next Paul Chapel. I'm going to Vero Beach, you know, to start a thing. The truth is we're going in following Jesus Christ, already surrendered to whatever he wants from us. And that ministry might look like Jeremiah's. The ministry might not be the most dynamic thing. Follow Jesus. Be surrendered. And then be creative, flexible, be obedient. Look, so my, my church is, like all churches, because of COVID, are kind of weird right now. But as I was writing the sermon, I was thinking back to a week of ministry at our church, and it kind of looked like this. One family is hosting the teenagers in their home. Another's holding a prayer meeting in theirs. A couple ladies continue this powerfully evangelistic Bible study. One man witnesses in the hospital. Several people serve in our anchored kids ministry. The retired men are taking bread and pastries around town to minister. We have a church service in the park, live streams, podcasts, citywide prayer meetings are scheduled, and then members go on loving their neighbor and sharing the gospel. My point is, you might not have a traditional service. You might not get the choir of your dreams. And especially since COVID, your ministry might not look like you want, but the people of God employ creativity in serving him. The churches that are healthy today, after 2020, are the ones that got creative. The churches that are following, the ones that have had revival, are the ones that have said, fine, I'll follow rules, while still taking the gospel to my community. So just remove your expectations. Uh, by the way, that takes a huge burden off of you. Realize it's Jesus' church. It's his, it's his burden. So just surrender to him. Be creative. Be flexible. Be obedient. And then also this. Just one little phrase. Really, it got me so excited. I want to tell you guys, fifthly, you need help. And you can be help. You need help. Look at, what is it, verse five? When they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Check it out. And they had also John to their minister. John, right here, he represents a very long list of names throughout the rest of the New Testament. Paul always had volunteers at his side. He always had guys like John Mark there to minister to grow in ministry. Now, I, I did read that uh, the thought here of John's role as they go into the synagogues to preach and Paul's sitting there and he's teaching and Barnabas is teaching. It, it seems like maybe John was kind of like this, this scribe, this little page boy on the side, and he would bring them the scriptures. Okay, hey, John, I need, I need Joel. Bring me Joel. And he'd bring it over and hand it to him. And he was serving the ministry as the ministry was serving the city. 
Some men and women in God's army have specific calls upon their life. But let me say this. While, while God often drafts people into his ranks, he also takes volunteers. Paul's notable ministry is permeated with people like John Mark. This is Barnabas's nephew, right? You can only imagine like, hey, John, uh, we're going to go back to grandma's neighborhood with the gospel. And the, I want to invite you to come along with me. Why don't you come and learn how to serve Jesus? I don't know. Maybe John already had like, a, you know, his his ticket. Maybe he already had a boat ride and they just went along. I have no idea. John, though, was not called by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't separate Barnabas and Saul and John. John went along. So look, some of y'all in here ought to be John Mark. Some of y'all uh, should be like Aquila and Priscilla. Remember, church planting is for every member. It's for every Christian. So you can be uh, like this, the long list of names of, of people who opened their home, like Jason did, to the gospel. People like Lydia, people like Achilla and Priscilla. If you have not been directly called to a place, friends, just volunteer. <laughs> just volunteer. I mean, find a pastor that you would love to emulate their ministry. Call them up and say, uh, look, can I come there? I'll support myself. I'll get a job. Can I just like sit in and learn? Can I grow? Can I help? Can I serve? You don't have to pay me a thing. By the way, church planners don't have any money to pay you a thing. It would be very helpful for you to call up the little churches. Can I come there and help you? That pastor would kind of fall out of his chair if you heard that. Call, my, call up the pastor, call up the church planner, the, the evangelist, and go there and learn and serve and be the John Mark. If you're called to be a church planner, then get in with the church planter. If you're called in to be a missionary, go train with the missionary. And, and, and check it out. Uh, I would say this. The first thing in the scriptures that the Bible says is not good is that man should be alone, right? It is not good that man should be alone. So don't be like me who thought, you know, oh, bless God, I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm going into a town. I'm going to scratch off a piece of ground and claim it for Jesus Christ. Get some help. Get some help. To, oh, Brother R, he, he mentioned this a second ago, but uh, one of my closest friends from college, and, you know, you kind of grow distant after college, but, man, through a providential phone call, two years into our church plant, God had this family just pack up and move from Connecticut to Florida to help us in building the church. What an incredible move of faith on it. Hey, we don't pay them anything. Uh, we put them on for, you know, the $100 missionary support. <laughs> that doesn't cover much. Man, by faith, he moved down there and he is a rock in our church. He is, he is an enormous, enormous blessing. You need help. Paul needs Silas. Barnabas needs John Mark. Call up a ministry and just be there. Be all in. Or look across the room. Find somebody. I was thinking, you know, in this sermon, I thought back to my college days, and I remember a guy building one of the most dynamic bus ministries you could ever imagine, and I decided I should probably just stick around with this guy. And I, and I did, and the Lord blessed that friendship, and I was able to see amazing things through that anointing. You go and find that person. Hey, I hear you're going to go plant a church. Can I come? It's a lot of fun, by the way. You should just go do it. <laughs> Ministry requires community, and you need partnership. So be like these people in the scriptures. Be like the millions of, of faithful men and women who have just volunteered for God's services. Remember, church planting is for every believer. Today, we saw in just these five simple verses of some qualities of a faithful ministry. 
These qualities please Jesus. I mean, above all things, they please Jesus. How, how else can you please Jesus besides just volunteering for his service? What wonderful way to tell him that you love him. These, these qualities please Jesus. These qualities receive the power of the Holy Ghost. Be smart about ministry. Take the gospel to the next town. Emphasize prayer and community. Bloom where you're planted. Keep your eyes open for new opportunities. And remember, remember, church planting is for every Christian.